Good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. Enjoyed worshiping together already this morning and uh, want to uh, just thank you for allowing me to cancel last Sunday night. I was looking forward to sharing the slides from Israel, but uh, did enjoy spending the last few days with my father-in-law, the last days of his life were very precious, the last day that he lived. We had an opportunity to, to share with him through that day. So thank you for allowing me to uh, cancel. And also, uh, Winter Bible School was canceled as well. So I agreed to bring that uh, message here this morning. Yesterday was a wedding, and so we're going to hear a little bit of the same. Uh, the Winter Bible School topic was male and female created he them. And Jim uh, covered a lot of that ground yesterday in the wedding. So those of you who were at the wedding, well, you may hear a little bit of um, that again. I would like to just also thank you for praying for our work in Shenandoah. I invite you, as Steve said, we are having revival meetings uh, next week, not this coming week. Ken Gaiman will be with us. So if you uh, were never in Shenandoah, I want to just give you a personal invitation to uh, pick a night and, and come and join us. Uh, it is an hour drive, but uh, over the last 10 years, it has become a way of life for us. So it is not that bad. Let's take a night and come and join us, and we would love that. <clears throat> Also, uh, continue to pray for us in our ministry and outreach work. <clears throat> the uh, school, we are looking for teachers for next year. Uh, Spencer and Maritz are planning to spend four years in uh, Boston at uh, Sadler College. And Riley and Katherine are going as well. So that will bring changes to our ministry. And uh, we are in need of teachers as well. So if anyone... I would love an opportunity. I know there's a school starting in this area as well, so there's many opportunities. Ours is a small setting. Uh, we have eight students, and sometimes small things are scary. Uh, but I've reminded myself over the years, little is much if God is in it. It's not the size, but uh, there is work in building schools and building churches, and they... They don't just happen overnight. <clears throat> so pray with us in that. If you know of someone that would uh, fit that, uh, please let us know. Male and female created he them. <clears throat> of course, we're going to uh, start in, in Genesis, and, and then I'm going to uh, use Romans 1. These are the two texts that, uh, that I used in this uh, topic, so we will cover uh, last, between last Sunday's Sunday school lesson and uh, today's Sunday school lesson, I will fill in the gap there this morning. Uh, I have two points, uh, creation order and gender confusion, and they uh, told me to, uh, to address uh, some of the gender confusion issues that we see in our day and the growing uh, movement in the uh, LGBT movement and some of that, uh, how it is affecting churches today. 
So I want to start by sharing uh, an experience I had. In 2014, we purchased the Shenandoah Mennonite Church building. Those of you who have been there, that was in 2014. The Lord gave us that church building. And we had uh, worked hard to have the building ready for weekend meetings. Rick Rhodes was uh, coming for the weekend, and we uh, gave him the assignment created with a purpose. He wrote a book that I would recommend each of you to get. I have that book, and he spoke that weekend with that theme, created with a purpose. And uh, we were getting ready throughout the week. Wednesday night or Thursday night, I was down at the church myself getting the building ready and preparing for weekend meetings, and a local man from the community came in. I never met him before. And uh, he looked around and, and introduced himself, and it wasn't long till he said, so what is your position on homosexuality? I said, oh, okay, we do need this subject addressed. So I responded with a question, and I asked him what his view of bestiality is. And he thought for a while, and he said, well, that is unnatural. And I said, well, that would be our position on homosexuality as well, as that it was not what God created. So he answered his own question. And I feel that the Lord gave me that. I had no time to prepare for that one. And uh, then I followed with a second question. And I said, did you ever read of sodomy in a positive light? in the Bible. <clears throat> and he said, uh, well, he thought for a while and he didn't ever read of sodomy in a positive light. And I would like to suggest that we should not call this a gay lifestyle or homosexuality is not the proper uh, name for this lifestyle, but rather sodomy, which points to sin and judgment, as we talked about in our Sunday School lesson, the judgment of God is sure on those that live this lifestyle. So we had a, uh, I shared the scriptures from there. Uh, from there, I shared the scriptures of what our position would be and how we teach and interpret the scriptures. And I would like to say that we should never make apologies for teaching the truth and, and uh, sharing the Bible as, as it is written. It is our duty not to be intimidated by those who are promoting a lifestyle of sin. And also, uh, before that, we had a, uh, an experience with a, a transgender woman who came to our church services. And after uh, a period of time, people began to... She was uh, a transgender who was had a sex change, an operation. And we didn't know that at the time, but she came and uh, for, so we had her for a meal and she was interested in the lifestyle we live and the way we dress and she wanted to wear a dress and a covering and we, we didn't want to discourage that, but that uh, doesn't take care of the heart issues. And a couple people uh, discerned that there were something is not quite right and two or three people that 
uh, told me that uh, they believe that this woman is actually a man. Now talk about a stressful day in uh, ministry life. That was probably one of the most stressful experiences in my ministry. And uh, long story, we began uh, hearing it from several people, and God works this way. It was two or three people that uh, brought uh, proof that uh, this is actually the case, and we got on the internet and began to research uh, this. Connie was determined to get on the internet and day and night because she was teaching uh, this woman to sew. And uh, she was already coming to our church and interested in this lifestyle. And uh, so I remember the day quite well when uh, I asked her if she was born Thomas. And a whole flood of her past came back and uh, she was trying to run from her past and run from her pain and, and thought this is the answer and it wasn't the answer. So I uh, tried to speak life into her experience and hope and began asking more questions on now is she still invited and welcome at our church? Is, uh, are we a loving group that believes in redemption and the power of the blood and transformation of heart and life? And how far does this go? And if she does come back to our church service, what does she sit with the men or the women? And which bathroom does she use? And many, many questions followed. So she uh, didn't feel comfortable continue. Uh, coming to church, and we never said that she shouldn't, but we uh, kept meeting, and Connie and I counseled with her for uh, four or six weeks after that, and began to try my best to, to uh, help her to experience uh, a transformation of the mind and heart, and cleansing of the blood of Jesus Christ and a new creature in Christ as I've always preached and believed and, and unfortunately she found a church uh, sometime later that accepted her in that lifestyle and she never continued on what a testimony that would have been if she would have uh, continued in that uh, journey of finding God and Believing in, in transformation in the blood of Jesus and the power of the gospel and, and uh, to, to have a story of what God can do. That was my prayer. So over our years of ministry, we have, uh, I thought of at least 10 different uh, people that we ministered to in this lifestyle. In our area, it is quite common. There are more and more that are openly living this lifestyle, proud of it, and uh, some are confused and hurting. Some are uh, proud and arrogant as the man who came in the door challenging me in my position. There's many like that. And there's some that are soft and seeking. There was one uh, man in town uh, running, jogging. Many times I met him, and one day he opened up his struggle with this. He lived with this all his life, and several suicide attempts, 
And I told him, I said, uh, did anybody ever tell you that you can be changed and transformed by the blood of Jesus Christ? He said, no. He found a group, a support group, where these people can come together and find support. And, and, uh, but I believe that uh, the Lord Jesus can change and transform people in this, uh, living in this lifestyle. So I have two points, creation order, and it's kind of a follow-up uh, last year. I shared a sermon on uh, headship order from 1 Corinthians 11 and followed by uh, gender confusion. So I'm going to uh, put the two together this morning and uh, hopefully we can uh, find some, some help for us in these days ministering to people and uh, a warning to us to commit ourselves to purity and uh, to, to go back to the, the beginning. Jesus was tempted many times in his ministry on divorce and remarriage and adultery and fornication. I don't read any that he was challenged on the, the lifestyle of sodomy, but they tempted him and tested him on his position of adultery and fornication, and he always took them back to the beginning. And I believe that is our duty to, uh, to take people back to the beginning and take a good look at Genesis 1 through 3 and, and get a foundation of what God created and the beauty of it and God's plan for uh, humanity and the beauty in gender distinction and gender, uh, the beauty of male and female and how God created us, marriage and the home and, and God's plan for each one of us. So I want to do that, go back to uh, look at the sixth day of creation where we must go for a foundation. I would say uh, also that there was uh, several Seventh-day Adventists that uh, came to our church service a few times and wanted to meet with me and had many discussions on the seventh day and the beauty of the seventh day and, and uh, followed up with uh, discussions and Bible studies and those kinds of things, learned a lot. On And when I had received this assignment, I had some weekend meetings and, and I called uh, my friend and said, Raymond, I'm so excited. I'm teaching on the sick day. And I said, it's beautiful and it's powerful. I'm sharing a whole weekend in a winter Bible school. And, and uh, two times in the New Testament, there's a foundational uh, principle in creation order. And it's, it's a lost subject. And very few preachers are preaching it anymore. And he's not sure. He, he wasn't sure where I'm going with all of this. But I want to uh, lift up the beauty of the sick day uh, this morning and, and uh, connect that to uh, the New Testament and hopefully we can be rooted and grounded in our practice uh, because it is, I will show you how this connects into the New Testament and creation order. Let's go to Genesis chapter 1. <clears throat> Six days 
creation, seventh day rest, and the beautiful creation story that we have in Genesis 1 and 2. Verse 26, it says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over the cattle and all the earth and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female created he them. And God blessed them and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the fowl of the air and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Let us make man in our image. God <clears throat> stopped on the sixth day and all five days, all six days is a beautiful creation. We have light, day one. We have the firmament, the great expanse, the waters above and the waters below on day two. Day three, dry land appears in bodies of water. Day four, the sun, moon, and the stars. Day five, animals filled the sky and animals filled the waters. And day six was special. And if I can say it this way, God stopped and said, sick, the sick day, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. There was something special about the creation of uh, man and woman and humanity in that uh, this is the only part of God's creation that bore the image of God. And as you look at the world and live in the world and interact with people and some people are unloving and hard to uh, appreciate the way they live, but every person was created in the image and likeness of God. Now that image was marred because of sin. But God also planned before the foundation of the world that in redemption... Every person who is redeemed and brought back to a right relationship with God will again bear the image of Jesus Christ. And so this is powerful and profound to think about how God created us in his image. We are created in God's image. We have the ability to think and reason. We have a body, soul, and a spirit. We have uh, the ability to worship God and enjoy a relationship with God. That was uh, wonderful to, uh, to read about and think about how that was for Adam and Eve to enjoy a relationship with God, to walk in the garden and talk with God and communicate with God and to worship God and to love God, to experience God every day. That's what God wants. And we have that... Uh, Ability and privilege to do that in redemption, to have that fellowship restored and have that relationship uh, brought back. Our bodies, just going through a funeral this week as you uh, lay a loved one to rest and you watch the body go back to the ground. Everyone that sees that and experiences that, we're reminded over and over again that uh, it's not what we were created for. 
Death was not what God created us for. And to go through that experience without hope of redemption and without hope of a new body and without hope of a restoration and a day where God will restore all things back again, what an experience that is for unbelievers to go through that. But to have that experience to see the body go back to the ground from whence it came, the connection between the earth, the physical part of God's creation. We are physical. We are also spiritual in that we receive the breath of God and the spirit of God, the eternal part of us. And then we are moral creatures and also sexual creatures. That is part of the beauty of God's creation. And so as you stop and think about uh, why did God create you, who are you, and why did God create you to find your identity and your fulfillment in who you're created to be, and, and primarily we're created to bring him glory, to reflect his image and to uh, experience a relationship with him and to spread his message to the world. The purpose in life is to bring God glory and then, of course, the, uh, the male and female, the, the beauty of gender distinction and uh, the roles that uh, each play. Adam was created a male, a man. Jim mentioned a little bit, uh, there's differing opinions on this uh, at... Uh, some people believe this all happened where Adam and Eve were created on the sixth day and some people believe that there was a, a time period and the naming of the animals and the, uh, the garden. It says in chapter 2 that God planted a garden. I love that. I read it again this morning on the way down. Uh, God planted a garden and took the man and he put him in the garden. So whether this garden was day six or whether there's a space of time in between there doesn't really matter, but, but just uh, picture and imagine this garden, the whole creation. You have the heavens and you have the earth and you have Adam and Eve and now you have a garden in the middle of the earth. It says out of this garden there uh, flowed a river. So Adam was created a male in the prime of his life. He missed the, uh, I believe that uh, he missed the childhood years. Day six, Adam was created, whether that was 30 years old, what is the prime of your life? And maybe I'm wrong here. You can correct me if I have anything wrong. I'll be open to correction. Some of these we cannot be sure on, but I want to pull out creation order is the important point here that I want to uh, drive home and leave you to remember. Adam was created and given authority and dominion over the whole created world. He was the, the one in authority. Now, how many of you men would love to be in authority and have uh, total dominion over the whole created world? All the animals were in the care and under the care of Adam. He was given a garden to care for. And Adam was given the choice. I believe this is the important part that uh, 
God gave Adam. Eve was not in the picture yet, so whether this was all in six, day six or whether it was a space of time, it doesn't matter, but the important part is that God gave Adam dominion over the whole world, and God gave Adam the commandment to keep from the forbidden fruit. And then we have chapter 2, of course, where uh, it was not good that man is alone. So Adam was created to be a leader, provider, and protector. And Eve, beautiful story in Genesis 2 where God put Adam into a deep sleep and took Eve from his side. Now Adam could have easily, uh, God could have easily created Eve from the ground as well. Male, female, both from the ground, but there was an order here and there was a a very important uh, distinction here that God decided to have Adam first and Eve created as a helpmate. Adam was formed from the ground and Eve was taken from Adam's side, from a rib. Eve was created to be a helpmate, to come alongside and there you have the distinction between men and women today. We could spend a lot of time, but I'm not going to do that. I want to just take you to two New Testament connections that uh, I think are important to this connection with, with uh, create to this principle of creation order. Sisters, if you're asked why do you wear the covering on your head, how do you answer that? In our setting, we've had many opportunities to give answers. I've been challenged on this many times. And uh, I want to take you to, uh, first of all, 1 Corinthians 11 and then 1 Timothy 2, women in leadership. We do not ordain women in leadership because of this principle, because of creation order and, and uh, the roles. And also... We believe that uh, this principle of headship order is still valid for us today. So go to 1 Corinthians 11, just quickly to put this connection together. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 8, it says, For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. For this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Foundationally, Day six, creation order. Was God up to something on day six? Yes, Adam was created first, and Eve was not, uh, Adam was not created for Eve, but Eve was created for Adam. And for this reason, it says, the women ought to have power on their head. For this cause, because of creation order. And verse 10 and 11 says, for this, for this cause, a woman ought to have power in her head because of the angels. Nevertheless, neither the man, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. But as the woman is of the man, even so is the man also by the woman. But all things are of God. Beauty. Creation order. And the next one is 1 Timothy 2. And this one is in relation to women in leadership. And it's uh, taken from day six, creation order. 1 Timothy 2, 
verse 11, it says, But the women, let the women learn in silence with all subjection, but I suffer not the woman to teach, nor usurp authority over the man, but to be in silence. For Adam was formed, was first formed, then Eve. And Adam was not in, deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Nevertheless, she shall be saved in childbearing if they continue in faith and charity and holiness with sobriety. So if you're ever asked why we do not ordain women, take them back to day six, creation order. I believe they're both rooted in that principle. Now let's move to gender confusion. The LGBT movement is uh, lesbians. Are women attracted to women? Gay? Is men attracted to men? Bisexual, a person who is attracted to both men and women. Transgender is a person whose sense of personal identity and gender does not correspond with their birth sex. Transgender people say they were assigned a sex that isn't true to who they are. And there is also a cue they've added to that yet, but uh, here's the, the sin that is uh, very common in our world today, and, and people are proud of it. We had one of the, uh, the uh, presidential uh, candidates that uh, is openly practicing this and kissed his husband publicly and proud of it, and we have this becoming, this lifestyle becoming more and more uh, openly practiced, and the tag or the... Uh, the shame of it is, is disappearing, and it's, it's something that is cool. And young people are even uh, entering into this lifestyle and thinking it's cool. Parents are now sometimes giving their children a choice. They can choose their gender, and uh, many things are happening in our world today. But I want to... Uh, just talk a little bit about us as a church. First of all, having a clear foundation on creation order and, and God's plan for men and women in the home it needs to be clear. It's not difficult. Our message needs to be clear, and it's beautiful to have an experience and to grow up experiencing a home and a marriage and, and church and all of these things that we thank the Lord for. But how do we respond to these people who are caught in this movement, maybe uh, following a little bit with our Sunday school lesson of looking at these people with a judgmental spirit, kind of keeping a distance, and, uh, you see what they're doing and that kind of thing, or can we actually minister and speak life into someone who is living this lifestyle and caught in this sin and give them hope and help them out of it and, and minister to them. And I think we have to uh, understand the sin and understand that some people are confused and hurting. Some are proud and arrogant. Some are afraid to tell it, people about it or talk about it. They're afraid to, to expose this uh, sin. And there are some leaders in our day-to-day -day who are supporting uh, this lifestyle. The Methodist Church is dividing. 
in leadership over this issue. I, I don't have an answer how, how church leaders can actually get to that place where they're no longer able to call sin, sin. No longer able to warn the sinners, but embracing a message of love and acceptance. And God brings these people in rather than preaching the goodness of God, which leads to repentance and, and helping people experience Christ and experience life change. So how do we help people who are caught in this lifestyle? This is a war on God and against God and creation. This is a serious rejection of, of God's creation. It is a rejection of God's sovereignty over a person's life. Believing the idea that you can choose your gender is a rejection of God and a rejection of God's creation. And this sin was around in Sodom and it was around in Paul's day. So let's go to Romans chapter 1 for just a, a few thoughts on uh, what Paul says in Romans 1. I believe the most descriptive text in the New Testament of this sin. Last Sunday's Sunday school lesson, we ended with uh, chapter... 1 verse 16 to 18 I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth to the Jew first and also to the Greek therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith that is written the just shall live by faith for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness I love these verses the gospel is powerful the blood of Jesus is powerful. I have always preached this, but I've been tested here. And is this gospel that we preach powerful enough to change a person who's living and practicing sodomy? A person who's actually had a, a sex change and an operation? Or traveled far down the path of human depravity as Paul describes here in the following verses. The gospel is powerful, but many people are rejecting it. So within the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed. I love this. The righteousness of God is revealed within the gospel. So the gospel we preach when a person opens their heart to it the righteousness of God, the imputed righteousness comes to the heart of anyone who is saved. We experience justification and being made right with God. And then, as we begin to walk by faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith, we continue in the path of righteousness. And it is the upward climb of spirituality, and it is the most rewarding experience to any leader, shepherd, or pastor to see someone walking by faith and experiencing life change. It is rewarding. I love to see it happen. When people experience God, there's a sense of reward and there's a sense of joy that comes to my heart when I see people changed. And that's what happens. It's really what we need to preach. You will not be the same when you come to the Lord. 
But then the wrath of God is also revealed from heaven. So the righteousness of God is revealed upon all those that are saved. Their lives are changed. But the wrath of God is revealed from heaven in verse 18 as well against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who hold the truth in unrighteousness. So here the picture is those that hear the message and reject it and say no. They hold the truth in unrighteousness or suppress the truth. It's like a person who's pushing down the, uh, the righteousness of God and embracing unrighteousness. That's a dangerous place to live. Where you willfully reject God's righteousness and maybe find a church and a preacher who preaches the love of God and everyone can come in, oh God's this God of love and just there's no need for a change of life. And people begin to suppress the truth and hold the truth in unrighteousness, and the wrath of God begins to be released. Sometimes we think of the wrath of God as a future experience, and it is. There is a day of wrath, but here in this text right here, whenever a person rejects truth, there's a hardening effect that happens, and the wrath of God begins to... Uh, be revealed in a person's life, and it's actually the mercy of God. If you read your Sunday school lesson well, Paul addresses those that want to uh, experience the mercy of God and the love of God. He says, do you not know that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? That's really what will happen if you experience the goodness of God and you open your heart, it'll lead you to repentance. It's actually God turning you over to a miserable lifestyle because that's what you want. We don't have time to exhaust the following verses, but that's really what he says happens here. The gospel will bring the righteousness of God and it's the upward climb of spirituality, the change of of God in your life, God bringing change to your life, and then the downward path of human depravity is revealed against those that reject it. Now I will say that I, I do not understand everyone's experience. In this text, it's so clear to me that that's who he's addressing, those that are rejecting God, and there's three verses that I want to point out that it makes it very clear they're rejecting God, they're rejecting God, they're rejecting God, they're loving unrighteousness, and the wrath of God is released in their lives. But that doesn't say there's no hope to repent anywhere in this journey. People can reach out to God and be changed. So let's go through this. It'll In verse, uh, the first one, this downward path of human depravity, verse 19 and 20, it says that because that which may be known of God is manifest in them, for God hath showed it unto them, for the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, for they are without excuse. So God is revealing himself. 
to the world. God wants to reveal himself to each one of us. God loves to reveal himself, and he is here revealing himself in many ways through creation, through uh, the gospel, and, and there's a rejection of this revelation of God. So God gives them over to this lifestyle. It says in verse 24, God gave, because of this rejection, God gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. So you see this rejection of God, rejection of truth, rejection of righteousness, and God gave them up to unrighteousness and a lifestyle that is, is dishonoring to uncleanness. And the reason is, in verse 21, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their own imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like unto corruptible man, unto birds and the four-footed beasts and creeping things. The second one is in verse 26. God says, For this cause God gave them up to vile affections. For even their women to change the natural use into that which is against nature. So God gave them up, gave them over to this, and allowed this to come into their lives because that's what they wanted. And the reason is mentioned in verse 25, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. And then the last one is in verse 28, God gave them over to a reprobate mind. And he, in verse 28 it says, And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. So a reprobate mind is one that cannot think and reason. And it's a perverted mind. There's a lot of perverted minds in the world today. Many, I'm told, sex offenders are not after the act of sex, but they're after violence and control, bringing harm to people. And it's so perverted. You wonder how could a person ever get that far away and here in Romans 1 it clearly shows the path away from God it's a dangerous place and then of course ending the chapter in verse 29 being filled with all unrighteousness fornication wickedness covetousness maliciousness full of envy murder debate deceit malignity whisperers backbiters haters of God despiteful proud boasters inventors of evil things and disobedient to parents. This road leads to eternal death. And this is where we picked up our Sunday school lesson right here. The downward path of human depravity and those that are uh, supporting in it, having pleasure in them that do it. Uh, do you not know the judgment of God is sure? This road leads to eternal death. So I, I would like to just challenge each of us here this morning as you think about ministering to these people. What about us? And what about our church? Frank Reed spoke at Minister's Week 
two weeks ago, and I had opportunity to take some of his classes. On He was speaking on addictions, and he gave alarming results of uh, where the church is at today in relation to pornography and sexual uncleanness. And he advised us all to read the book by Gary Miller, Surviving the Tech Tsunami. And I got that book. It's on my list to do. I want to do that, uh, read that book here as soon as I get a chance. But I just want to leave this as a challenge. Are we coming to the place where we can support statistics of over 50%? I find it hard to believe some of the numbers that are shared, but it is an alarming problem. So things will not go right. We cannot go back to Genesis 1 and 26. 26 and 27 and say yes praise God I want to live this and I want to find the beauty of this and I want to experience this and I want to raise a family I want to reflect God and be shining in his glory and his image while we're failing in a lifestyle like this so I want to just leave that as a challenge to us as a church to commit ourselves and set a high standard I don't know what the percentages are here I hope that we're all committed to holiness. And I hope it's not 50% in this church that are failing. And I would like to encourage each person to be accountable and open with each other. We live in a sexualized culture and we live in, in a world that is filled with dirty minds and dirty people and far away from God's ways, we must embrace a life of purity and experience fulfillment in our marriages and in our homes and be open and accountable with each other that we can win the battle that's ahead of us. So may God bless each of you as we are challenged together. Stand for truth, experience God, the power of the gospel, and let God's righteousness come into your heart and life. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the word, and we thank you for your faithfulness, the power of the gospel, the blood of Jesus, and we recognize, yes, the battle is raging. All of us are tempted. All of us are living amongst a world that is... is sinful and fallen. Help us, Lord, to, to be open and accountable and, and to be experiencing what you have for us. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.